All right, if you take your Bibles together with me this morning, we're going to be looking in the book of John, the Gospel of John, and the ninth chapter. Gospel of John in the ninth chapter. <clears throat> and of course, I'm going to continue this morning. I have for the last three Sunday mornings brought messages that talk about one thing. I think that's interesting. One thing. And that sure will bring our focus down when we're reading and studying the Bible. And I'm going to do that again this morning. This ninth chapter of the book of John is a story about a man that was born blind. Born blind. And of course, he met Jesus. Jesus healed him. And in this chapter, and I'll point out this part of the verse first, then I'll read several verses. Verse 25, as the Lord adds his blessing to his word as he sees fit this morning, it says this, He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. And then here's the statement. One thing I know that whereas I was blind, now I see. One thing I know. He talks about something he didn't know here in this conversation with these Pharisees pertaining to Jesus. They were accusing him of being a sinner. A sinner because he healed this man on the Sabbath day. And of course... We might imagine a man that was born blind, and of course they were relegated to being a beggar in order to live, and we wouldn't imagine that he had any education or anything like that, so he could speak as all of us could this morning, there are things we don't know. There's a whole lot we don't know. And the older I get, the more I study the Bible, the more I find out I don't know. And so... He said that, but he said, and this is a statement, one thing I know, one thing I know, I was blind and now I can see. Isn't that amazing? Now let's back up and read some of these verses of the chapter. I'm sure most of you are familiar with everything that's here, but we'll begin in verse number one and read the first seven verses first. And here's what it says, and as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the work of God might be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me, while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And when he had thus spoken, he spat on, on the ground and made clay, made clay of spittle and anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. And he went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. Somebody might ask, well, did Jesus need to do that? Make clay? Couldn't he just heal him? Yes, he could. 
But oftentimes in the scripture we find stories that require an act of faith, an act of faith and an act of obedience in order uh, to be healed here. Then I jump down to verse number 13, and it says here, and, and they brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind, and it was on the Sabbath day when Jesus made clay and opened his eyes. Then again the Pharisees also asked him how that he received his sight, and he said unto them, He put clay upon mine eyes, and I washed and do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such a miracle? And there was division among them. And then I will read verse 24 and 25 again, and it says this, Then again called they the man that was blind, and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. And verse 25, And he answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. And then I want to read verse 39. Verse 39 says this, And Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and then, and they that which see might be made blind. Isn't that something? They that see might be made blind. Now, this morning, I think this is one of the most impressive one thing of all them that I've read. And as I've shared with you, I found about 16 of them in the Bible, probably half of them, uh, would be a setting whereby we could learn from them and be blessed by them. But this one, to me, is probably the most impressive of all because of what I believe that it says. And I believe this morning that this healing of this blind man giving him sight is a picture of salvation, is being saved. And I'm going to go to an effort this morning to bring that out and point that out. Just a couple of points, the fact that that's true, and then also that uh, the salvation experience that people have is meant to be a no-so relationship with the Lord. A no-so. Because this man said, one thing I know. And not very long after he was given sight could he say that, but he said that. And so... Uh, that's what I want to do this morning. Now, there are several things that, that impress me in this chapter. It is awful hard for me to uh, develop a message this morning from that statement that he made and not to think about some of the other things that are in this chapter, and they are impressive. One is that not all suffering or not all conditions uh, that uh, are, uh, happen to people are bad or because of sin. And that's an interesting thing that Jesus said there. Of course, the first thought of his disciples was, who sinned here for this bad thing to happen? Well, one does not have, sin does not have to cause uh, individual sin, a bad thing to happen, but it can. And uh, in here, and Jesus said, well, neither one did. But this man, and it's hard for us to imagine this morning, was born blind, 
that the works of God might be manifest in him. So the next time you have something bad or uncomfortable or suffering in your life, stop and think, this might be for the glory of God if I look for it and search for it in my life. Another thing in here was that I discovered or thought about this, that it doesn't take a lot of knowledge. A person doesn't need to be a theologian to come to know Jesus as their Savior. This man really didn't know much at all. He didn't know much at all, but the Bible tells us that he trusted in Christ even though he didn't. If you notice again in verse 35, and Jesus heard that they cast him out. Now they threw him out of the synagogue, cast him out, and when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe, and worshipped him. It doesn't take a lot of knowledge, a, a lot of knowledge to be able to come to Christ. And of course, we know that probably after that he didn't have a lot either, uh, but he would have grown in his knowledge of the Lord. Now, one thing that I want to do, and I think this is needful, and so I'm going to make an effort to do this. And I'll be sharing with you some statements in the Bible or passages of Scripture that bear this out. I think everybody understands that's read the Bible very much or listened to it taught or preached understands that the Bible uses the analogy of blindness to picture the condition of the unsaved, that they are blind. They are blind. Even though they may be able to see with their eyes, the Bible says they're blind. Spiritually they are. We know that the Bible teaches that, teaches it very clearly. And also we know that the relationship that's developed between us and the Savior, when we come to a saving knowledge of Him, is like having light to shine upon a person and their eyes being open and their ability to see. Now I don't have to explain that to you if you know the Lord this morning because you understand what that miracle is all about. And I think I need to do this. I think I need to do it because of a couple of songs. And uh, of course when I begin to look at this, they both come to my mind. One that everybody's familiar with, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm fine. What's the rest of it? Was blind, but now I see. Isn't that amazing? And then I thought of another one that I'm familiar with, and it's not in our songbook. I wish it was because it's a, I really like the song. And it says, The light of the world is Jesus. And part of that goes, Ye dwellers of darkness, uh, with sin-blinded eyes, the light of the world is Jesus. Go wash at His bidding, and light will arise. The light of the world is Jesus. Come to the light, tis shineth for thee. And the songwriter changes thee to me. Uh, sweetly the light has shined upon me. Once I was blind. But now I can see the light of the world is Jesus. You didn't know you was going to come to church today and the preacher sing to you. Well, I'll just keep doing it if you want me to. No, just kidding. But anyway, those songs, what, what, what did the songwriters have in mind 
when they penned the words of those songs. They had in mind this experience of this blind man and his statement that he made, once I was blind, but now I can see. Now one thing I'm going to do to bear that out is I'm going to read some scriptures in your hearing. I'm not going to ask you to turn to them because there's several of them. I'll give you the text if you take notes. You can write them down. Or I'll give them to you later if you miss that. And they bring this point out. These scriptures do. First one I'm going to share with you is from Matthew chapter 15 and verse 14. And Jesus is talking about those scribes and Pharisees leading people. And here's what he said. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into a ditch. Now these people were not that he's talking about. They hadn't lost their physical vision. They were able to see. But Jesus is making a point. Even though they were able to see, they were not able to see. You see what, what, what he's saying there by that? And of course that's the case. And I'm afraid that a lot of our world is full of the blind leading the blind. And uh, he says here they both fall into a ditch. Another verse of scripture is, this one is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 14. But their minds were blinded. Now I thought that was interesting that he said their minds were blinded. Oh my, I thought it was just eyes. No, it can be the mind. Their blind minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. And of course he's talking about the Jews. You see, they rejected the Lord. And of course there's a veil. There's a veil. And it remains to this very day. Unless they come to Christ and that veil is lifted. And so there are people in the world. Now we have a hard time imagining that. And of course everybody would say, well it's somebody else, it's sure not me, whose mind is veiled and they're not able to comprehend or perceive truth that is in the Word of God. Another passage, and I like this one, it's in 2 Corinthians and chapter number 4. In 2 Corinthians and chapter number 4, and I'll read this one to you. There are several verses that are in this. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. And he says this in the sixth verse of that. He says, For God who commended the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now if you're saved this morning, and I'm going to share with you in a moment that you ought to know it. You should know it. That's what this, one of the lessons that is in this. If you're saved this morning, guess what's happened to you? I can tell you what's happened to you. The, he has commanded the light to shine out of darkness and has shined in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. You show me someone that's genuinely saved and sincere in their walk, and guess what they do? They don't take credit for that relationship. They give it to God. They give it to God. I like doing that. Some people have wondered maybe over the years why I'm a grace preacher. Why I'm a sovereign grace preacher. 
I can tell you why I am. Because I love to give God the glory. And I'll rob you of it in a heartbeat if I have a chance to do that. Because there's so many in our world who think they're going to heaven because they've merited it and earned it along the way. And they've got to just keep holding out in order to make it uh, in the end. I'm telling you, that's not the Bible. That's not the Scripture. And I'll be sharing Wednesday night. uh, uh, The subject matter is... Uh, the ordinances that the Lord gave His church. And I'll be sharing Wednesday night some things that might surprise the folks. How that the abuse of the ordinances has changed the gospel message. Changed it. Changed the gospel message. Folks, I want to tell you what I believe. And I believe most of you that are listening believe the same thing. That we are saved by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ Plus nothing, minus nothing. You can't add anything to that. You can't take anything away from that. And I will tell you that most of the so-called religious world, or in this country anyway, believe that you have to add to it. You add to it. And so that's not the gospel truth. But this is what it says happens to us. Uh, he, he goes on to say, we are troubled uh, troubled on every hand, on every side, yet not distressed, and perplexed, yet not spare, persecuted, not forsaken, cast down, and not destroyed. Always bearing about in our body the uh, about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, and only go. And so he speaks of the relationship there that we have with Him. And then there's another passage I'd share. This is in Ephesians chapter 4 and 18. And remember, these are verses of Scripture that bear out the points that I'm making. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Now remember he mentioned blindness of the mind? Well, he's talking about blindness of the heart. You know, oftentimes I've been asked this question. Well, why does this person or that person never come to Christ? Why do they hear the gospel over and over and never come to Christ? The Bible answers that very clearly. There are those who have an issue with the blindness of their heart and the blindness of their mind. In the book of 1 John chapter 2 and verse 11 says this, But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not where he goeth because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The Bible is full of illustrations of that. How? That when the Lord gives someone life, He gives them light. They're able to see. They're able to say, I once was blind, but now I see. Isn't that interesting? It's true. This preacher that's preaching to you this morning, it is my personal testimony. I know that to be a fact by experience in my life. Not just because of what the Bible says, but I know it's true. And so who gets the glory for that? The Lord does and not me. He did it. I I say this all the time and I mean it. When God saves someone, He changes them forever. This idea that people can come to a saving knowledge of Christ and go right back out in the world and live the same old life that they've always lived, they don't have the experience that I have. Because it will change you. It makes you a new man or a new woman or boy or girl. And everything is different from then on. Simply because the light 
of the world is Jesus, and He shines in our heart. Now let me give you two or three interesting things that are recorded in the Bible. I don't think I have you turn to all of these simply because I'll give you where they're found. And you need to write it down because that you'll, you'll find that's a very interesting story, preacher, that you tell. And I want to read that for myself. I can give you some of those that are found in the Bible. One of them is found in the book of Genesis in chapter 21. In Genesis chapter 21, we find the story of Abraham, of course Abraham and Sarah, but Abraham had a concubine. His, her name was Hagar. And, and she bore a son, bore him a son, and his name was Ishmael. Now, he thought, Abraham thought, since God had made him the promise that he didn't have a son in his old age, surely Ishmael must be that one. Well, Sarah told him that he was not the one. After Isaac was born, of course, Isaac was born to Sarah. And Abraham and Sarah were way past the age of ever having a child, but God blessed them. It was a miracle. And so uh, Sarah told Abraham, you're going to have to get rid of Hagar and Ishmael. And he didn't want to do that, of course. He loved that kid. And God spoke to him and told him, you go ahead and do that because Ishmael is not going to be the line through which I bless you, but Isaac is going to be. You go ahead and set her out. God told him to do that. And so what he did, he went and got her a, some container of water and put it, put it on her shoulder and turned her out. And the Bible says, now by the way, God had promised that he would bless Ishmael too. He would bless him in the way that was his will to bless him. Not like Isaac, but that he would bless him. And he'd become a, a great nation. And we know all of the... Uh, uh, those that have come from Ishmael in the world today, they still are over in the Middle East mostly, and they are the Muslim people. They come from Ishmael. And so he sets Ishmael out. And so she had that water, and that's all she had. And the Bible says she began to wonder in the wilderness. And that by and by, the Bible says that the water was spent. She had no more water. And that baby, as you might imagine was crying and crying. And the Bible says she couldn't stand to listen to that child like that. And so she put him under a bush and she went like a bow shot away and she sat down because she couldn't stand to hear that baby, that baby cry. And the Bible says that God spoke to her and said, you get up and go to the child and in that chapter it says, And God opened her eyes, and she saw a water source. And she went and got the water and comforted the child. And isn't that an interesting story? You mean, preacher, did God create the water source? No, it was already there, and she just didn't see it. You see, the stories I'm telling you say this. There have always been people who even though they had vision physical vision, doesn't mean that they can see. I'm telling you this morning, to be able to see is a blessing from God. It is God's grace that helps us to see things. Now let me tell you another little story. I know you're probably familiar with these, but I find them very, uh, very interesting. In the book of Numbers, 
And this story comes from chapter number 22. And the Israelites had come out of Egypt. And they were a great force. And they were cleaning house everywhere they went. You know the story, how God was blessing them. They would, they, the enemies couldn't stand before them. Their reputation had spread before them. And so they come to Moab. And uh, the leader of Moab was really nervous about that. And he, he actually made the statement. He said, they're just cleaning house. They're, he didn't say it that way. I'm, that's my way of expressing it everywhere they go. And so he called on a man by the name of Balaam. And he said, now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and curse them people. I want you to curse them people. I'm afraid of them. So anyway, Balaam didn't go right away, and he kept wanting to go and all this stuff. And finally, God just told him, well, it was all right for him to go. But he wasn't going, he wasn't going to allow Balaam to curse him. That's for sure. But anyway, so old Balaam headed on, the, on his way. And so he's riding his donkey. And he comes to this place, and uh, the donkey rebels and throws a fit, and Balaam gets real bad, mad, and he beats his donkey, finally gets on, going again, and then the donkey does it again. And then the donkey done it a third time. Hurt him, actually. Hurt his leg, or foot, or I can't remember exactly how it was. But anyway... He's beaten his donkey for that. And God let the donkey speak. (laughs) Every time I get to feeling like I might be important as a preacher, I think about that story. (laughs) I must not be nothing. If God can let a donkey speak, surely I must not be nothing. But anyway, the donkey did speak to him. And then he had no idea why this was happening. But the Bible says that God opened his eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing there with his sword drawn. He had eyes. He had vision. But there was something he couldn't see until God opened his eyes. He couldn't see it till God opened his eyes. You know, I've thought about this a lot of times over the years. I've known a lot of people, as you might imagine. I've known a lot of people. I've known people who uh, some might think, well, they're uh, the ignorant class of our world. They just don't know much, you know. And they may not be educated or whatever, but they just don't seem to know. I've told you stories about some of them that I've known before. Some people that were so well grounded in the Word of God and couldn't read. Couldn't read a word. I told you a story about a deacon in one of the churches I pastored and he was going with me to visit. And he brought up this discussion and we were talking and and my little New Testament was laying there, uh, and, and I picked it up and I said, turn to such and such a passage and read this. This answers the question. And he said, preacher, I can't read. But he was the well, you just wouldn't believe 
how well grounded he was in the Word. I said, how in the world then have you become like that? He said, preacher, I have to listen better than most. I have to try to remember better than most. And my little wife has read the Bible to me every night before we go to bed for and told me how many years. You see, it shouldn't hinder anybody. But I've known people. I, I remember one that I would take back and forth for his cancer treatment. And he was, he was, uh, he, he, doctors said he wasn't going to make it. He was terminally ill. And of course he wanted to talk to the preacher about a lot of things while we travel. And I was so amazed at the insight that man had. The depth of understanding. I, I never will forget the, those conversations that we had traveling back and forth. You see, there are people who can see, but then again they can't. And there are people that you might think should know this or that or the other, and they know, oh, it's amazing how much knowledge that they have. Then I want to share another one with you, and I think this is the most important one. And I, I've preached from it before. But it's in the book of 2 Kings and it's the 6th chapters where this story is. And the Bible tells that Syria was coming down and attacking the Israelites. And this was during the time of the prophet Elisha. And every time the king of Syria would make a plan and tell his troops we're going to go and we're going to encamp in a certain place, and we're going to set up and fight the Israelites in this particular place. And every time he'd do that, the Israelites would know what the plan was, and they would avoid being caught in a trap. And he finally came to the conclusion, he called his people together and he said, who is it among us that's a traitor? Who is it that's on Israel's side? And somebody spoke up and said, there's a prophet in Israel and he knows your discussion in your bedroom. He, the Bible actually said that. Bed chambers is what it says. But he knows all your plans. So the king of Syria said, well, I want you to find out where he is and I want you to fetch him. I want you to go get him. So they did. He was in a town called Dolphin, I think. And so they, the troops all gathered, and boy, they was, uh, it was amazing. They gathered around that little town, and they had their chariots and their horses and their men of war, and they were all gathered with the intent of getting Elisha. And so that morning, the servant of Elisha came out and looked and saw that and said to Elisha, Oh, what are we going to do? He thought, man, we're in trouble. And the Bible says Elisha prayed and said, Lord, open his eyes and help him to see. And when, he, when the Lord opened his eyes and he looked, there was encamped chariots of fire. And he said, greater is they that's with us than they that is against us. And he couldn't see that. Elisha knew it was true. But he couldn't see that God had sent his warriors to save Elisha. And then 
God opened his eyes that he could see it. And then the Bible says, when they came, Elisha prayed, Lord, strike them blind. And God struck them blind. They couldn't see, couldn't tell where they was going. And Elisha led them to an Israeli, Israeli town and, and uh, said, what do we do? Do we kill them all or whatever? And they said, no, give them their vision back and let them feed them and let them go. Isn't that something? But those stories talk about that kind of thing. And one of my favorite places, and I, you can turn to this one, it's in the book of Luke. In the book of Luke, and it's in chapter 24, and I know you've thought about this a lot of times, but the Bible says, and this is right after Christ rose from the dead, and um, two of his disciples, the Bible says in verse 13, two of them that same day went to a village called Emmaus, village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about three school furlongs, and they talked together uh, of all the things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, listen to this, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. And the 16th verse says, but their eyes were holden that they should not know him. Their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, what manner of communication are these that you have one with another as you walk? And are sad, of course they were sad because they knew that Jesus had been crucified. And then uh, I would call your attention to, uh, to uh, verses 31. Verse 31. And verse 30 says this, And it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, and took bread, and blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them, Verse 31, and their eyes were opened and they knew Him. That happened to me. That happened to me 58 years ago. My eyes was opened and I knew Him. And He vanished out of their sight. And verse 32, and they said one to another, did not our hearts burn within us while, while He talked with us by the way? And while he opened to us the scriptures. Preacher, how do people understand the Bible? By whatever degree we understand the Bible this morning, I'm telling you I know where it come from. I know exactly where it come from. Well, I need to hurry up. I, I got a bunch more, but I don't have time to share them with you. I think you get the point. I want to make this point though. The Bible teaches us that that personal relationship with Christ should be a no-so relationship. Just like this man said, I know I was blind, and I know now I can see. It is a no-so relationship. may not be at the very first. I'm sure many of you could share when I first come to the Lord, I'm like this blind man. I didn't know much. But as time went on, I come to know for sure that I was a child of God. The Bible says, in 2 Corinthians, uh, in the 13th chapter, it says, uh, well, I'll turn there because it slipped my mind, as so many other things do occasionally. But 2 Corinthians, in the 13th chapter, it says this, in the verse 5, Examine yourself, 
whether you be in the faith, prove your own self. Examine yourself. You know, the Bible says this, and I want you to, I'm going to turn to this and in 1 John chapter 5, and I, I like this, in the 5th chapter of 1 John, and it says, I'll start reading in verse 10. And he that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. Where is the witness? In himself. And he that believeth not, God has made God a liar, because he, he believeth not the record that God has given, uh, gave of his Son. And this is the record that God has given to us eternal life, and that life is in his Son. And he that hath the Son hath life, he that hath not the Son hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Listen to this. That you may know that you have eternal life. Are there ways of knowing it? I read that passage of Scripture a while ago about faith. Well, can I know by my faith? You sure can. Because you know what the Bible says? Faith with out works is dead. You mean, preacher, the Bible says if I'm saved, I ought to be interested in good works. Remember the series that I preached, just finished a few weeks ago, that he's redeemed unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Am I zealous of good works in myself? No. The flesh won't produce that. Only the Spirit. And the Bible says that the Spirit bears witness that we're saved. Did you know that? The Bible says, Paul did in Romans chapter 8, as many as that are led by the Spirit are what? The children of God. And the Spirit beareth witness that we are the children of God. And so we should know that. We should know that. And I want to tell you that, of course, there's many other ways that we might know that by our obedience. Um, and I can do this real quickly in the 14th chapter of John. Listen to these words. Jesus said, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me uh, shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself unto him. He went on to say in the 23rd verse, If a man love me, he will keep my words. And my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. The Bible says that clearly, that we are obedient. Okay, I'm preaching to some obedient people. Why are you obedient? I know why you're obedient. You're not obedient because of the flesh. You're obedient because of what God has done in your heart. He opened, opens the heart. And we know we're saved by our love for the brethren. Jesus said, by this shall all men know you are my disciple because you love the brethren. You love them. And on and on and on. Our love for the Word of God. Just read Psalms 119 over and over and over. The psalmist talks about his love for the Word of God. People don't love the Word of God that don't know Jesus. But people that know Him truly love the Word of God. There's a lot of ways that we know that He proves Himself and shows Himself to us, and we can know we're saved. Oh, isn't it wonderful? I can tell you personally and sincerely, I once was blind, but now I see. I once was blind. Now maybe somebody here, the Lord has been showing you some things in your life. You do know that's how you come to the Lord. 
Jesus said, No man cometh unto me except it was given of the Father. That's how it works. We begin to see things. We begin to understand them. And we're given the privilege to act on them. My friend, if He's given you light and you don't know the Lord, or you've never confessed Him as your personal Savior, I invite you this morning. Father, we praise You and thank You for this good Word. What a wonderful thought it is for this poor blind man to say, there's things I don't know, but there's one thing I know for sure. I once was blind, but now I see. Thank You, Lord, for spiritual vision. Thank you for saving, I thank you for saving my unworthy soul and giving me the opportunities that you have in life. Bless us now as we sing this closing number. We'll give you the glory and praise for any results. In Jesus' name and for his sake we pray, amen. Now would you stand with me this morning while Rick leads us in the closing number.